Hi, my name is Stuart Alsop, and this is my podcast, Crazy Wisdom, where I interview creative people about how they work with and manage the stress that is inherent in creative work. What I've realized over the past 10 years of my research is that anybody who is creating something of value that is significantly different from what has come before is considered crazy. Most of us have a fear, an ingrained fear of going crazy. Uh, so what I'm saying is grab onto that fear, realize that it's there, and just go with it because the problems we're going to be facing over the next 20 years require crazy people in order to solve them. Welcome to the Crazy Wisdom Podcast. My guest is Marco Fuscia. He is a serial entrepreneur. He started, invest, he started and invested in many companies before and is now in the uncertainty place of where to go next. And as he was just describing, the whole point of business and the whole point of entrepreneurship is to make money. Uh, and so he's looking for something that will make that money. And uh, I, I, like I've been following you on Quora for a long time and I've found a lot of, of wisdom, both in the business sense, but also in this other like life sense. You have a lot of interesting insights into life itself. Um, so welcome to the show, Marco. Thank you very much. So money, how, how, what is the relationship between business and money? Well, I think entrepreneurship is about finding an opportunity that allows you to make money. Uh, there are a lot of great ideas out there, a lot of very interesting ideas. But, you know, interesting ideas don't necessarily mean you can A, capitalize on them, A, make money off of them. Or B, they might not even be of interest to more than, you know, 10 people in the whole United States of America or the world. Uh, I think at a certain point, entrepreneurship is about finding opportunities that people can connect with, uh, finding some utility that people are willing to pay for. Uh, at the end of the day, that's, you know, the commercial success is what determines whether something is, is real or not. Uh, I have a lot of very interesting ideas, but interesting <laughs> ideas, you know, don't pay the bills. You, you, have to, you have to connect with other human beings, with other businesses. And with uh, I think that's the key determinant of, of, of a good business is, is finding that fit. Again, uh, you know, interesting ideas are interesting ideas, but, you know, th those belong in, in a different sphere. You can always pursue them. <clears throat> Forgive me. You can always, you know, invest time and money on them if, if they give you pleasure. Uh, but at the end mm -hmm. of the day, when you're running a business, it's about running a business. I mean, finding customers or finding a way to monetize the value that you're delivering. In 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 business, uh, I think that the the ability to 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 actually transact uh, is 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 what gives its value. I mean, if you know, if you're a religious person. You do things that have value to that to that particular sphere. If you're dealing with business, it's it's business is business. Yeah, you know, you, ha you have to be making money. It's, it's there's no way around that. And that well, and so what I'm getting from this is business money equals value, and then there's other things we can do which also equal value but aren't business. So one would be uh, philanthropy, which would be value equals feel good helping the world. Um, and then there's like a nonprofit, which would be value equals how much money you can raise. Um, I guess that philanthropy. And then there's like religion, which is 
well, that's that's a <laughs> maybe that's a whole different ballgame. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 yeah, yeah, no, I mean, you know, the, the, the you see, if you, if you, if I'm having a conversation with somebody, right, who's who's starting a business, and they're asking me for advice, obviously, what has value is not me making money off of that in any sense. At one sense, you can say, okay, I'm going to invest in that in that project or that idea because ultimately, you know, it, it serves my interests. But a lot of times, uh, I don't see the value to me personally in, in, in me making money off of that person, mm-hmm. which means that the value of the advice that you're giving that person is how can you open, open their mind to seeing things from different perspectives? Mm-hmm. Uh, how can you raise their consciousness so that it can, they can see their own reality better? Uh, how do you... Uh, give them the information or, you know, the, the, the processes by which they can acquire the knowledge that they need to execute on their particular plan. Uh, all of those things have value because at the end of the day, you know, when you're an entrepreneur, you're really alone. I mean, it's, 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 it's really kind of weird, uh, in the sense that you need, I don't want to call it outside counsel because that sounds a little bit too, too formal, but you need a brain trust that you can tap into of people that, that, you can run ideas by. I mean, a good friend is somebody that I'll throw an idea at and he'll pick up a baseball bat to my idea. And then at the end of the process, you see, well, what's still standing? Uh, What's still available for me to use? A good friend doesn't say, yay, great, you're great. It's a great idea. Uh, A good friend is there to pick your idea apart. Uh, That is what has value. Uh, in a sense, it does. It's not constructive because it is destructive to, to a certain degree, but it, it affords you the opportunity to actually find what the weaknesses and the argument are before you 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 throw money at it and you go out there and embarrass yourself. Uh, you know, in business, a lot of times, you know, I'll have an idea and I'll go to existing customers and say, you know, and I said, okay, I'm buying you, I'm buying you lunch. Uh, and I need to pick your brain. And then you run your idea by them and they'll say, yay, nay, or they'll say where the problems are, or they'll say, you know, it's a great idea. I love it. But, you know, Marco, you can't pull it off because, you know, you need different kind of resources in order to pull that off. That's good advice. Now, I don't know that they're making any value. Those, that, that interaction has value because it allows you to not waste your time not waste your energy, not waste your contacts, not waste your resources on something that doesn't, doesn't have traction in the market. Um, so not everything that you do that I do or others do for me has intrinsic economic value. It does in the ultimate goal that it saves me time and money, but it doesn't actually make me money. But that's also very important. It's absolutely key in entrepreneurship to have that, that group of people that you can call on to basically, you know, destroy your own ideas. Which is so, for, for people just getting into it, particularly those of us who have grown up in California where everybody's really nice to each other and nobody, nobody, nobody uh, says, uh, says what they're really thinking and kind of like that doesn't really, it's all soft punches. Uh, that it's kind of counterintuitive for us because it's like you want people to 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 yeah you know park. every time I go to California I'm like God you 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 people are too nice you know <laughs> I was brought up on the main streets of Brooklyn you know that's 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 a different perspective they'll tell you exactly what they think there's no niceties about anything which you is know so funny, which is so funny if like, somebody's being nice to you it's because they want to screw you out of something you know <laughs> which is funny because it's like part of that part I mean so there's I've been 
been thinking about this a lot for Silicon Valley, particularly this this um, this 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 idea. Uh, and it seems that California is this very gentle place, you know, where where you have this uh, uh, yoga mindset for a lot of people. But then it attracted a lot of business people who are hard and who who. But it's kind of like softened them out a little bit um, and f- yeah. allowed them to find their kind of ideal. The sun bleached their heads. That's what happened. <laughs> is it, and, and I mean, you have it, you, you have this kind of like pay it forward. Maybe it's a product of entrepreneurship, but this kind of pay it forward mentality where, you know, I send you, I've sent you an email before and you just kind of like, maybe it's because we had the relationship on Quora before and you, you just give me this long email, of really, really high signal um, information. And, and, you know, it, it's that pay it forward thing. And I was in, in Silicon Valley, that's very common. And it's a lot of people, it's, the reason why a lot of people think Silicon Valley has become so dominant is that these entrepreneurs do share these lessons together. And there is an interesting thing when I, when I first started my first company and I would go to these people that I would get connected to most of the things I would get would be encouragement and they would pick apart the idea a little bit, but that encouragement sustained me, but maybe for the wrong, maybe that was an, that was, maybe that was a mistake because the, the idea didn't work out. And like, and maybe it would have been better if somebody had kind of like really attacked it. But then I, at that point, I probably would have, would have, would have. Uh... Yeah. You know, the thing about in California that is really, really great is that people want to see other people succeed. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, that's, it's a big contrast with say working in Europe where people really want to see you fail, right? Because it justifies their working for the corporation and basically selling out. Uh, so they want to see you fail. They will do everything in their power to see you fail. They will throw obstacles that see you fail. You know, you try to sell to a, a European corporation and the guy that you're interacting with wants to see you fail. Mm. In, in the U.S., you can, you can approach as, you know, a, a nobody entrepreneur, a big corporation, and you will find somebody there that, you know, will, will sponsor you, will sponsor your, your, your idea, will sponsor your company, will start, you know, will sponsor your startup. Because ultimately, they want to see you succeed. Uh, and yeah, maybe there's an implicit, well, one day I might do it myself. And, you know, you need, you need the connections and you need the help. But it really isn't. It comes from the heart. People want to see other people succeed. And I think that's the key point. You know, even the openness among entrepreneurs, it's because everybody's gone through it. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there's a disconnect between education, you know, the formal aspects of education and entrepreneurship because nobody teaches entrepreneurship. I mean, let's start at the basics. You know, the most important thing about succeeding as an entrepreneur is the ability to sell. And yet, you know, you can graduate from four years from a, you know, good, good business school, get a, you know, an MBA and, and still not have taken a single course in how to sell. Uh, yeah, they'll teach you marketing, but marketing isn't selling. Uh, marketing is, you know, the, 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 the trademark value, the equity in the trademark is the ultimate goal. But uh, at, at another level, you need to go out there, kick down doors and, and sell. You, you, have, you know, how do you build that lead, that lead funnel? How do you go out there and actually send people out to make those sales calls? How do you close them? Uh, none of that is, 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 is a known entity. There's no academic research in it, really. And the same thing goes for entrepreneurship. You know, everything that you learn in an MBA program is how to run a corporation, scientific, you know, it's scientific management, which it should be, of course. But if you want to be an entrepreneur, actually, how do you, how do you learn about it? You can't open books about it necessarily because 
those are individual stories. It's how I succeeded. Now, an entrepreneur like me, I mean, I've done maybe a dozen startups. I've invested in six other ones. I've done international investments. So every one of those has taught me a story. They're almost like Marco is 18 different stories, but I can approach it from different angles based on, on my personal experience, but there's no formal construct there. So, you know, when you're dealing with other entrepreneurs, you know where they're at. You basically say, well, you, you know, you don't want to say you don't have a fucking clue what you're talking about because there's no reason for them to know. There's no way for them to know. There's no materials for them to read. There's no classes that they can take. The only thing you can do is just back off a little bit and say, okay, let me give you perspective on this from this side. Let me give you perspective on this from that other side. Let me flash a light from the top. Uh, that's really the only thing that you can do constructively uh, because that's, that's all there is. I mean, a lot of entrepreneurs go out there blind. They jump off a cliff. You know, my thing is to say, you know, people say, what should I study before I, I go on an entrepreneurial venture? I say, well, listen, go back to college and take accounting 101, accounting 102, you know, take the finance courses and take the marketing courses because those are formal things that you can study, right? You can get a piece of paper for those. that proves that you did them. Once you have that, you got to invent everything uh, because there's nothing else out there. Those are just, you know, the, the, the bricks. But what do you do with those bricks is really what innovation is all about. And ultimately, you're recombining bricks in different ways. Uh, but the way I view it is, you got to help people out because I've been helped. You know, it's what goes around comes around. You know, when I was starting out, I had no idea. You know, I could talk to some of my old bosses, but you know, they were old, old corporate dogs, you know, and they'll tell you what the pitfalls are, but they won't tell you actually how to approach it. And this is, so this is really interesting because I have a whole bunch of questions that came up from that. But ultimately what I'm getting is that, you can't really teach entrepreneurship at school. It must be done. Um, and this goes into an interview I just recently did with somebody who's cre creating this crazy immersive educational thing. Um, I don't quite understand it totally, but, uh, but, uh, but the idea is he gave me a really interesting insight, which is that you have all this knowledge in our head. Um, like 10% of it is explicit, 20% 20, 20 of it is implicit, and then the rest of it is experiential, which cannot be codified in language. Um, and, and it seems like, or it can, but it's very like poor representation of it. Uh, and, and it seems like entrepreneurship has the same thing where it's like, it, when I start a company and I'll, okay, I'll go into what I'm thinking right now. I'm not sure I want to start a company from it, but uh, what I'm, the project I'm, I'm starting now is that uh, I do breath work four times a day on zoom on, on zoom video where I guide people for 10 minutes at a time and I'm designing it to fit into a workspace workspace. Uh, and I'm going, I'm trying to, uh, get it into companies as a perk, particularly distributed companies, uh, so that mm -hmm. they can, uh, they can have this perk in the same way that Google has a bunch of perks. Um, and so I'm thinking about, and nobody's ever done this quite this same type of thing before for a distributed company. So there's no examples. And then even if there were examples, they would be time bound by a different time with a different set of conditions. Is that an accurate right. representation of what, and I would love yes. to, uh, yep. The, the talking generally you see the issue is is that if i look at what i did say 1997 right it, it's a completely different market than today all the, the external variables are different uh, my experience 
say, doing semiconductors has got nothing to do with my experience doing software. And my experience doing software 10 years ago or 20 years ago has nothing to do with what the market is doing today. I mean, that's the innovator's dilemma, really, is that you're putting stuff together that hasn't been done. That is a necessary precondition of innovation. Now, you can strip the innovation out of entrepreneurship and find things that you know are realistically today that have been done before. But if it's been done before, there's prob probably no profit in it in the sense that other people have already done it. I mean, you're doing somebody else's dreamscape, not your own. Um, so you always have to look at it in terms of, yes, it's my experience, uh, but at the same time, what's my experience worth? My experience is worth what I'm going to do tomorrow, not what I did yesterday, which means that all innovation is, is new at the fundamental level. You're doing something that hasn't been done before. You know, you can't, you know, if you're going to do the corporate thing, I mean, I could read, you know, take a book out from my bookshelf, say Peter Drucker, and, you know, read on scientific management circa 1955 <laughs> and apply it to what I'm doing in a corporation, right? Yeah. If you're doing something new, you can't do it. Um, there's also another thing that you really have to, in business, encapsulate an idea. I mean, I could say, okay, you know what? Go take, you know, spend the next two years doing yoga three times a week and they will teach you how to breathe, Right. That's uh, the principal thing. I mean, you, you think it's a physical activity, but it's, it's a physical activity that is correlated with your ability to breathe. I mean, you're bringing in the chi and then, you know, you're transforming it and you're sending it into the right chakras and, and doing all the energy work that, you, you know, you need to do to keep prospering as, as a healthy individual. But in order to make money off of it, you, either you do yoga classes or you encapsulate the breathing technique. That's something finite. That's something that, you know, you can package, you can put, you know, a label on it and, you know, an MSRP at the bottom of it. I think that's, that's what's key. If you say I'm going to teach you how to breathe, who knows? But if you wrap it around and, you know, this is, I'm going to teach you how to de-stress yourself in 10 minutes. I mean, all I need to do is take six breaths and I can de-stress myself, right? Uh, I can put the energy anywhere in my body that I want. If I'm losing my grounding, I can just throw the energy downwards. Mm -hmm. If I'm too grounded, I can throw the energy up. Mm -hmm. If I'm with somebody I care, I can throw the energy on my heart chakra, right? Mm -hmm. um, and I can do that in six or seven breaths. It doesn't take me 10 minutes, but it, it's, a, it's a technique that I learned. Somebody taught me, right? Uh, and it has value. It has and this is, the, this is exactly what you're talking about, but, but the biggest problem for me is, is non, it, life is nonlinear. If we're going to, uh, you know, teaching people how to solve their own problems, but, uh, and, but then the, and then, but then there's a, it seems like there's a conflict, at least for me, uh, between recognizing that it's nonlinear, having that as the ultimate truth that, that, that reality is, is, is somewhat, um, opaque and, and, uh, and, but then connecting to that with a, f a framework, turning what I'm doing into a framework that's kind of digestible, which seems to be a requirement of business. Uh, mm -hmm. and then, and then how can I, uh, mediate this conflict, this internal conflict I have between taking something that is nonlinear and that is almost like numinous, uh, and then making it into something that I can share and, and putting it into a framework or a box, which ultimately becomes stale. Yeah, it becomes stale. But the thing is, is that, you know, you, you can say uh, today's 10 minute, you know, open, open, 
open an app on your, on your cell phone. And today is, you know, I'm going to give you a five minute breathing routine that is different from the one I gave you yesterday and is different from the one I gave you the day before. Right. Mm-hmm. Or you can make it into a, you know, a, a 20 day or a 40 day series in the sense that for the next 40 days, you got to dedicate five minutes to this. Uh, and I will teach you a different breathing technique each day. Now you have a package of, you know, of 45 minute sections that you, you know, you're distributing on a daily basis. You can monetize the 40 days. You can monetize the individual ones if you like, but you know, or you can give somebody a free three. I'm going to give you the three basic breathing techniques and you know, then there's a 40 day package. It's something that can be monetized uh, because it's something very specific and it doesn't take a lot of time. Uh, It takes a lot of time cumulatively to reach the point where you can take seven breaths and you've completely distressed yourself. But, you know, you still have to start. you got to take that first step. Okay. So the first step, you're going to give it away for free. The second step, you're going to give it away for free. If they get to the third step, it means that they're seeing the value or else they won't have come back to it. Uh, And and at that point is when you, you can actually monetize the idea because you're, you're providing a service, you're providing value, you're providing value to somebody else. I mean, what are people's choices? Uh, you know, it's a highly competitive business environment out there. You're going to be sharp and you're going to be at the top of your game. Uh, so if, 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 you know, the people have two choices, they can pop a pill, right? Or they can do the breathing exercises. So what do they prefer to do? Some people will prefer to pop the pill because they think there's a magic pill for everybody, for everything, or they will, they will actually put in and invest the time. And if they see the value, they're going to, you know, go to somebody else who's in their work environment and say, you know, when I'm stressed out of my mind, I say, yeah, I took this little course. It's five minutes a day for 40 days. Why don't you try it? This is, this is, so this has already been happening. I've got regular people who are coming to me. It's still, it's still in the free stage and I'm not sure, but you gave me a really good idea, which is essentially that I I, I can, I can start to build a curriculum so I can, the next, and I'm going to start doing it the next time is that the, uh, I'm going to, uh, this next week I'm going fishing, but the week after that, I'm going to do a one week, five day thing on a particular part of the breath. Um, and then turn it. In. Yeah. Yeah. And then, and then, that, and then each week I've been sending daily emails and then each week I'll turn it into a course. And this is, this ties in. And, and I got from this also that I've been asking myself, who, it, what am I in service of? And in this, and as you just said that I'm getting, I am in service for the beginners who don't know how to do this yet. And that's why right. I need to I need to bring it down into a framework and 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 solidify it so that they can understand it. And that's why. I do yeah. It. yeah. And you know maybe it's not you know forty days continuous one per day. Maybe you need you know for 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 the notion to download it to the person. And you know that might take two to three days. But uh, you got to find what the, the the correct interval is. Whether it's every day for forty days or every other day or twice a week or whatever it is. You know, it also depends on how long the process is. Uh, but, you know, if you can encapsulate it to a workable five to 10 minutes, you know, every, anybody's got five to 10 minutes. Mm-hmm. And that's the whole idea. That's why I'm, that's why I'm, that's why I'm pushing it so much for businesses is because it's, it, yeah. I don't think anybody's done this before where it's live too. There's something about the live nature of it, which is really cool as well. So, yeah. But it might not, doesn't necessarily have to be live. I mean, as I said, you put it on an app, download it today. When do you have five to 10 minutes? Mm-hmm. Listen to it. Yep. And one of my students is doing that. He's, he's going off and, and when he can't make the agreed upon schedules, 
he's 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 doing it on his own but he's he 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 said i've suspected this and he says actually i know this because i've done a lot of youtube videos and i've done a lot of live stuff and it's always different live there is this this something special that that happens in live um so i want to go back to these questions that i came up earlier way before we we talked we were talking about advice and getting advice from someone and it seems to be there's another conflict in that which is that I don't always know the truth. Somebody else might have a more accurate representation of the truth for this particular instance, uh, but they also might be deluded and there's uncertainty in both situations. So how can I ask somebody for advice knowing that they might be wrong and knowing that I might interpret the wrong, advice wrong? I guess I'm ha- saying, how do, you, how do you deal with reality um, when reality is opaque? Yeah, you know, I don't know about reality or truth. Those are just very complicated subject matters to cover. Um, You know, at one level, you have a factual communication, right? I I can communicate to you my personal experience, right? And my perspective can bring you perspective. Uh, That's one way of going about it. The other way of going about it is making somebody think about the issue instead of just giving them the platitude. that's absolutely key because if you train, you know, it's the proverbial, if you train somebody to, to fish, well, they can feed themselves every day. If you know, if you get, if you hand them a fish, well, you know, after three days, a fish is going to start to stink. Right. Uh, it also, it's not useful to the person. Uh, I think that most good advice is you're just opening somebody's mind to look at something from a different perspective for what it's worth. Uh, it's, you know, you, 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 you have to be able to, to teach somebody to think in a slightly different way. Uh, it doesn't mean that you want to impose your truth on them or your knowledge on them or your experience on them. You know, I could, I could spend here and we could spend the next three hours me telling you how many times I got screwed by partners, business partners, customers, etc. right? That, that's obviously part of my experience. Caution is obviously one thing that I always try to, you know, communicate to others. But at, at the end of the day, you, 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 what has value is if you, you can teach somebody to look at the opportunities, uh, give them the tools to actually scan their surroundings and see what's a threat, what's not a threat, uh, what can bring them money, what will not bring them money, what will bring value to the customer, what will not bring value to the customer. Uh, it's it's really a matter of it's not a fixed data point it's not a fixed idea it's not a fixed perspective it's really a, a method of looking at the world and seeing what the what the what the opportunities are uh, it's a way of looking at the world and seeing where is the good where can the good be found how can I tune tune my own persona to that good uh, you know tools mental tools are like tuning forks you know you tap it and then you say okay does that does that resonate at the right key or does it not? Um, you know, when you've been in business for a very long time, I mean, I've flown, you know, all the way to China to shake somebody's hand and then I said, okay, I'm going to do business with this person, right? Mm-hmm. So why do you just sit for 24 hours in an airplane to do that? Because you, you, you get an emotional sense just by shaking somebody's hand. Uh, that's real. You become very perceptive of, of that energy field. Um, that's why I call them tuning forks. You know, is this going to be good? You, you know, you tune the fork. Okay, yes, it is. Or no, it isn't. 
Mm. If you're dealing with somebody who's going to screw you, you don't have any objective. I mean, you're not going to call Dun and Bradstreet and get a credit report on him. You're going to feel it. You're going to feel it the instant you meet that person, uh, because either it resonates in a certain way or it doesn't resonate in, a, in that other way. Uh, and that's the key thing that you want to really when you're when you're sharing information and knowledge with somebody else is teaching them how to actually tune into the right things and tune out the bad things. Uh, and ultimately what is true is what allows the other person to actually progress in their own life, uh, progress in business, progress emotionally. Um, if you have, you know, if I'm talking to a, you know, a first time entrepreneur and he's, you know, all, all shaky and nervous and insecure at a certain sense is a little bit of a con because you're trying to make him feel more confident, right? It's what you were describing before. They won't really criticize your idea, but they will encourage you, right? Mm -hmm. Because they're thinking that the person is insecure. Mm -hmm. um, the, the key thing in life is really that you should never take a decision from a position of weakness, emotional weakness, mental weakness, physical weakness. You really have to approach life, say, okay, well, how do I put myself in a position of being strong? Um, it, it's not like, you know, a, a brute, you know, a muscle competition in that sense. It's a question of how do I put myself in a position of being mentally strong so I can take the right decision. Uh, everything in life is a matter of opportunity and what kind of opportunities you create for yourself uh, in the sense that if all I have is bad choices, making the best of the bad choices is really not useful. If I have really good virtuous options in front of me, even if I make the wrong decision, it's still going to be okay. And, 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 and that's what you really, you have to impart in others when you're, when you, when you're giving them advice, you have to be, make sure that they only, they only see the good opportunities, uh, try to steer them so that they synchronize with a good energy out there. Uh, that, that's key. That's very important. That's the only thing in my mind, even closely resembles truth. Uh, because otherwise it's, you know, it's, it's, it's not just not necessarily objective. It's, you know, it's subjective. Uh, but you can't bury somebody in your own problems, uh, in your own negativity, in your own bad experiences. You really got to move them on onto what, what are their opportunities and how can they capture them? How can they view the world from a position of strength and only resonate with other strength? I think that's that's the bottom line is what where, where the truth lays. But I could be wrong, you know. I'm I'm as I always say, even in all my posts, I if I ever write one. I would say, you know, I'm a, I'm a recidivist. I've made every single mistake at least three times. So you know, take my advice with caution. <laughs> well, and that and that's that goes back to another thing we were talking about earlier about the experience versus explicit and implicit knowledge is that. <laughs> Uh, I, I, I'm taking notes in terms of questions and, and the thing that came to mind when you were talking about intuition is what are the things that get in the way of intuition when you're going and shaking someone's hand uh, and, yeah. and you feel that, that goodness and in some sense you have to know that you should ask that question because and this actually goes back to neurosciences that we as, uh, we as young beings are essentially trusting of everything and then and this is we, we see this at a, at, a, at, a, at a brain level there's the, the amygdala and then there's a surrounding amygdala and that surrounding part of the amygdala basically learns distrust and fear and then communicates that back to the central part of the amygdala. And so we as, as babies have to learn that or our parents need to show us how to trust some people, how to not try, how to figure that out. And then another thing and then business is so complicated and there's so many different, you know, it's, it's always through other people that opportunities come. And a lot of times 
there are parts of the population of other people that are that are malevolent or that are trying to pull one over on you. Um, and I essentially had to learn. I had to learn through the really, really bad experience of of working with somebody who was who. If I had asked myself if I were centered enough when we first started working, I would have felt that. But I didn't take the time. Or and there's something weird. There's, there's I was from a position of weakness. Um, so I guess what are the things that get in the way of that intuition or in your own personal life? Did you have to learn that the hard way? Patience. You know, it's everybody comes into the game with expectations of what they want to get out of it. And that they let the expectation drive the process instead of reality drive the process. Uh, you know, another thing that is, is prevalent in, in today's culture is, you know, idealism. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, idealism in certain cultures is, you know, it's, it's considered, uh, you know, using the Greek word pathos. You know, we get the word pathetic from it. It's, it's emotion driven, right? We're going to set an ideal that me, you, or nobody else will ever be able to meet. Mm. That's the thing about ideals. They're absolutes, but life is never an absolute. Uh, if you live by your ideals, you're, you're kind of screwed because you'll, you, you will never achieve them. Mm. Uh, you know, you can say, uh, I want to be a good person. And that's, that's an, that's a fine ideal, but you know, how many, how many days of the week, have you actually done something good for somebody else? You know, you're going to give, you're going to give a bum a sandwich. I mean, how's that going to help him or you? You understand what I'm saying? You can't live by those ideals. At a certain point, you have to be pragmatic in what you do. Uh, you have to be thoughtful in the sense that you have to be able to see six steps ahead and say, okay, I've just launched a business. I've caught my first customers. Have I screwed anybody? You know, that's, that's the question. Uh -huh. A lot of people talk about empathy, right? You don't need empathy if, if you're not screwing your customers, right? Mm -hmm. You know, a customer calls with a, with a problem. Yes. It's an opportunity to solve the problem, be you know, emphatic about it and, and, and help somebody else out of the problem. But that means you haven't delivered the goods that you promised you, you were going to deliver. If you deliver what you say you're going to deliver, and you deliver it well, and nobody gets screwed, and they actually get value for their money. You don't need to be empath, you know, to have empathy with people. Uh, I always keep saying that to people. You know how you know people ask me how do I connect socially with other human beings? You don't deliver what you're what you're out to deliver. You know, it, it, going back to what you were talking before, if you can teach somebody to breathe properly and de-stress themselves in forty, you know, encapsulated ten-minute sessions, right? You've provided a service. You don't have to, to you know, feel mm -hmm. empathy for them, right? You've delivered what you said you were going to deliver, and they paid you for it. Mm -hmm. Full stop, end of discussion. Mm -hmm. uh, you, you take the emotion out of it, and you conserve strength. Yeah. You conserve strength. You go back to being, uh, you know, to, to, to making better decisions because you're taking decisions from the point of view of stress. Um, that's what the way I, I, I view it. You know, you, you, you can't, you got to take ideals out of it because ideals is what is what clouds your clouds, your vision. You have to be pragmatic about what you want. Uh, once you've taken all of the, you know, the expectations, the ideals, the, the empathy out of it, everything becomes crystal clear and, and pretty quickly too. Uh, you know, you can spend two hours trying to be nice to a customer that you screwed over, but that's a lot of wasted energy, <laughs> and, you know, and at the end of the day, it, it's, it's not giving you any, any insights, giving you insight into their pain. Uh, but that's not helpful to you or to them. Uh, that's the point that I'm trying to make. You got to get all these things out of the way. Uh, your expectations, your ideals, your, you know, what you want, your, your emotions, their emotions, take it all out. All of a sudden things become clear. 
that's how you actually connect with customers in a, in a real and meaningful way. Uh, because customers have problems. They have problems that they want solved. You always go, you know, got to go back to that. Uh, and if you can solve that problem with it at, at a price that is inferior to what it would cost them to execute on it, they'll give you the business. It, it's really as simple as that. They don't see any value in doing them, doing it themselves. And all this extra stuff, yeah, it gets back to this thing that was really, really difficult for me to understand and only has kind of come uh, recently is this image-making process of the human brain or the human body is that we make these images and it doesn't seem to be only in our in our Western culture where we did come up with these ideals, these platonic ideals that we could live to that are somehow separate from reality and that are, that are existing somewhere in this abstract field. Uh, and it seems to be a process that has happened everywhere in, in human society is that we I, I create this image of myself. Stuart is a good person. And then I try to live up to that image, but that Correct. image is like a stale thing. It's dead. It's no longer, it's no longer part of the reality. It's not part, not this living thing, this living thing that I actually am, which is beyond an image because I can't fully incorporate it. Correct. Mm. Yeah, so, yeah, no. It, and when we project images, cause we're, you know, we're, we're visual animals, right? I, I, I won't remember a name after five years, but I'll remember a face after 20, right? We have this, this this visual ability. That's why we put faces on our coins and our currency, right? Because mm. you, you can tell a fake a fake a fake coin from a real one just by looking at it, right? You know, it takes a nanosecond. Our mind is wired visually, and we project visually. But when you're projecting, you know, uh, trying to project an emotion or 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 you know a, a moral statement, it, it doesn't carry forward very well. Uh, because that's all you're doing is projecting and you're actually doing what you're there to do, uh, which is, you know, add value to somebody else's life. The fact that you're sharing your goodness is good, right? As an ideal, but you're, you're not adding value to the other person's person's life per se, the image uh, unless they want to use you as the tuning fork. <laughs> the, the image is getting in the way of the actual thing, essentially. That's it. Yeah. You're, you're still there to do something, to get something done. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, and it's so easy, particularly with us millennials who have grown up with Instagram and other things is that the image has become the thing. It's like, that's it. Yeah. <laughs> which is so weird and so difficult. And, and it was really, really difficult to withdraw myself and withdraw my body from that dopamine rush of creating the right image. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we all have images, don't you know, but most of them are masks, you know, going back to inside, you got to take those masks off, right? Because or else it's not a, it's not a real, real act of communication or connection with another human being, you know, but how many masks are we wearing? You know, you may wear a mask for this and a mask for that, a mask for, for business and, you know, a mask for personal relationships. It's, you know, it's, it's, it's it's complicated, but at the same time, it's not useful. I mean, I, you know, I, I give you a silly example. You know, I was talking with a friend. He said, oh, you know, I think she's interested in you. And I said, yeah, that didn't work out. And the friend said, well, why not? Said, because, you know, it'll only happen if, if I tell her what she wants to hear, uh, right? It's the classic thing. Well, tell her what she wants to hear. No, because then three months in, I basically would have participated in a three-month lie, right? How long can you pull it off? Yeah. Right? And the it, it always makes you weak too. Yeah. And, and you know, that's, that's the problem. Then you're, you're living, you're living a false life. You're living a lie. And then, you know, you, 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 you get married and three years later you got bambinos and all of a sudden you wake up with a complete stranger in your bed. Right. 
it's 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 the same thing in personal life as it is in business you, you know you make yourself out to be something that you're not you project that image that you're not you know and it's, it's a customized uh boilerplate image that you know that fits this corporate mold or this entrepreneur mold you know and the way you, you dress and the way you talk and the way you, you put it all together but at the end of the day it's not the real you uh, it's nowhere near who you are and what your true potential is. It's, it's a boilerplate solution, right? It's like a book cover that has got nothing to do with what the book says on the inside. Uh, and, and that's a problem because that it creates a huge emotional and mental disconnect between what, you, what your true potential is and what you're actually doing. And a lot of people, they'll spend a year or two in a company. They've sold themselves in, in, in a particular way, right? They've packaged themselves, they've marketed themselves, and then they realize that their packaging and their marketing is not going to take them to the next step. But in a sense, what they don't do is say, okay, you know, I'm going to reinvent myself within the company. What they do is they quit and they go work somewhere else where they reinvent themselves at that other place, mm. right? So people even within companies are held hostage by what their, what, what their projected image is, what their projected value is which has nothing to do with their true potential because then for them to actually realize their, few, their true potential, they got to take a gamble on going work somewhere else where they can reinvent themselves. That's the problem with keeping those masks on. Not only do they interfere between your insight and your potential, they interfere with your ability to actually step outside of that image you've projected and actually do something new. All companies need to innovate. All individuals need to keep innovating because if you stop growing emotionally, if you stop innovating in a business sense, you go nowhere, right? Everything becomes stale. It's like you know, saying my experience from 20 years ago, if I give it to you, well, what, is it, well, what good is it? It's, it's already gone. That's 20 years past. You can't be living in the 20 years past. You've got to be living in today and what you're going to do in two and three days. And how do you prepare yourself to be that person that can actually realize some potential three days from today. Uh, and that requires taking all those damn masks off, you know, mm -hmm. taking the projections off. This is what I am. I'm not going to tell you what you want to hear. I'm sorry. <laughs> so this gets into something really interesting that's happening in Silicon Valley. Cause before in the 1980s, when I was growing up here, it was like a place, you know, it was, people knew about it and particularly people in wall street knew about it. But, uh, the rest of the world was like, ah, yeah, kind of crazy. And then, and then now it's to the point where it's like these products that have been created here have taken over the rest of the world. So everybody knows about Silicon Valley. Everybody knows about being an entrepreneur in a way that this is, it was kind of a weird thing that people did that you didn't, you know, it's, it's, it wasn't part of the mainstream culture. And now entrepreneurship is part of the mainstream culture. And there's an image of an entrepreneur and there's an image of Silicon Valley and they're created all these conferences and you got these, you know, 30 under 30, um, 30 under 30 kind of lists that Forbes puts and everybody's trying to get on the list so that they can create the image and all of it essentially is bullshit. And, and, but, but here's the question I wanted to ask you. Some of those things actually do lead to you getting a new customer because the customer thinks that, uh, they see you in the they see you in the image. They see your image, and they're like, "Oh, that person in the image might help me with my problem." Is that an accurate statement? Uh, yeah, I think you know the the the, the entrepreneur culture is basically existed because of two things. A, it allows somebody somebody to actually break out of the, the, the corporate culture. There's nothing wrong with the corporate culture. It serves corporations very well. Mm. Uh, it might serve 
your own personal goals long term very well also uh but you know when i started my did my first startup uh you know my girlfriend dumped me and then screamed at me for ruining her life you know because in her mind i would have kept my corporate job and this was the plan and we would have saved this much and you know we would have bought a house in the suburbs and you know a whole series of steps that were you know already decided in her mind uh, doing the entrepreneurial thing was jumping off a cliff and she wasn't willing to jump off the cliff with me, right? Um, so the, the whole entrepreneur culture is, is annoying. I mean, I'm going to be honest with you. I, I find it annoying nowadays because people are pushing it a little bit too much. But it is what allows people to actually say, okay, there is another, another route out there uh, to financial success or career satisfaction or personal realization that is not your traditional corporate route. Uh, there's also another issue is that, you know, risk is stressful and people have this, mm. this ingrained uh, view of risk as being not good, right? Not healthy. Why are you taking this risk, right? Why are you prone to taking risk? How you... You know, how do you take care of your risk gene? And it's not, it's, you know, it's frowned upon. So when you're breaking away originally, when, you know, entrepreneurship started coming out as a, as a viable alternative in life, mm. they're like, well, it's risky and it's non-corporate. So you almost have to justify it in, in, in a manner that allowed you to say, okay, yeah, I'm doing a startup and then yes, it is risky. And yes, I'm taking a financial risk but it's going to help me realize my potential and the time frame that I you know, want to dedicate it to it. Um, the other side of that, that whole cultural paradigm is that, you know, I remember 20 years ago, you'd walk to a, you know, into a big corporation and they're like, well, who the hell are you? You're no money, nobody. Why would I do business with you? Right. Uh, the whole startup ecosystem basically now it's changed that perspective because you can work, you know, you can go see the, the, the CTO of a big, large corporation and, you know, said, yeah, we, you know, we started up six months ago. It's, you know, four coders, one guy in marketing, one guy in sales, and this is what we're doing and we'd like to try it out. And the guy will just turn around and say, yeah, I'll prepare three years. Let's see where it goes. Okay. You would not expect that normally, right? Because you would expect the person to actually, you know, beat the best price out of you and get every, every, every last cent of value out of it. Mm -hmm. But, you know, you know, professionals and corporations will now say, you know what, I need to innovate. I need to, you know, bring new ideas into the fold and I'm willing to take a risk on, you know, on a no money company that's been in business for six years. I like the technology. Let's see if it works. Uh, and you know, they're, they're willing to actually even prepay, you know, X amount of time in order to, to, to see you succeed. That is what all that cultural paradigm shift, call it what you will, has actually actually done and I think it's a good thing I think it's a really good thing because mm. it's 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 opened up people's minds to different ways of doing things which is not to say that corporate work doesn't have value but it's a different kind of value and I want to get back to the corporate thing but I think I'd, I'd love to uh, take some time to uh, my my listeners like it when we do kind of like really personal practical stuff and I, I we you've talked about sales and you've done you've done a lot of sales correct Correct. Everything you do is sales. If you're an entrepreneur, I mean, I, I you know, I, I thought mm -hmm. sales is, you know, negatively, but uh, at the beginning, but it's it's the only thing that'll keep you in business. You know, either you sell or you don't sell. <laughs> it's really that's all there is to it. 
and then so I'm I'm I've got a couple different things that I'm working on. Mm-hmm. The, the first is the breath work, and I'm not trying to sell that in a financial set, sense of yet. It seems like the first layer of a freemium model where I'm where I'm going to go uh, and offer kind of educational pra- packages after that, and just get myself mm-hmm. in the door. Um, but then I've got this other thing, which is the podcast businesses need podcasts and I'm, I can create a podcast and I can create interesting content for them. Uh, and so I just, I, I had a, I interviewed somebody yesterday for, for my podcast. And then after that, uh, I, I pitched, pitched them on, um, uh, creating a podcast for them. Uh, and mm-hmm. so I'm going to lay out exactly what happened according to my thing. And I'd love to get your honest feedback on it. Um, and so I, after the call was done, I was like, okay, would you, uh, uh, are you interested in doing, Oh, I know I'm saying, I said, I'm, I'm creating uh, podcast uh, opportunities for companies. Would you be interested in something like that? And, and she's like, yes, definitely. Uh, you know, what have you done before? And then I realized that I, I, had, I mentioned that I was doing this, but I hadn't actually done my first thing. So I, in my mind, I'm doing it, but hadn't actually. So this brings up a question about honesty and other things, but I want to, I want to get it out further. Hopefully I'm explaining myself accurately here. Uh, yeah. That and then I have this thing about closing the sale, or because I and then and then I said, yeah, we can have well, let's have a discussion. She seemed she seemed interested in it. Uh, and that brings up another question about what when people display interest and how much they actually follow through with that interest. That's been something I've been running into. And then uh, and then she had this interest, and then I for some reason was like, okay, well let's set up another call another time. And it's, and you know, maybe knowing me, this is, seems like a personal thing that I have that it's like, I have this squeamishness about, about actually going through with the sale and making the thing happen. Um, and I don't know if it's even valuable to ask you your advice on that particular thing when it's such a personal issue, but any of those. It's, 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 uh, let me, let me, let me backtrack there. You see the, the, the thing of closing the sale, right? A lot of times, uh, companies will employ a, a multi-tiered sales process where you know somebody finds the lead, somebody makes the cold call, mm-hmm. somebody else does the marketing and the introduction, then you send a live person to actually make a presentation, then you bring in another person to close. Uh, closing is a very tricky thing because it's entirely dependent on insight. Uh, in a sense, you don't want to push them past the sale or you don't want to try to close it before the sale is done. But in order to actually to do it, you, you, you actually have to have a specific actionable thing to close on mm-hmm. in the sense that here is the product. This is what it's going to take to do it. This is what you have to do in order for it to happen. Uh, this is the time frame, and this is how much it's going to cost. Full stop. If you're interested, you know, I will send you the paperwork and we will start on the process. Mm-hmm. It, it's really nothing more than that, but you, you have to sense it. People have resistance, right? And getting them to yes is very, is very, very difficult um, because they're conditioned to, to get to, to, to no. No, no, no. As you said, they're preconditioned by life uh, to always say no because it's the safest course, right? Mm-hmm. So in a sense, you, you, you have to introduce some some form of energetic excitement into it in order to bring it to them saying yes, right? Uh, you can do a hard close, but a hard close isn't really going to work ever. Uh, you can do that. Certain things you have to do it, but most of the time it's you got to build that level of excitement around something concrete in the sense that this is the process 
this is what you need to do. This is how much it's going to cost. Here's the paperwork. Please sign on it and we'll get started. Mm-hmm. Right? You, you have to take it out. Another thing that is, is, is key is, is the issue of how do you finance it or how do you pay for it? Mm-hmm. In the sense that if you say, okay, you need to you know, prepay three years, well, that's just not going to happen unless you've you know, you got something they really want very badly. Mm-hmm. Uh, or they're feeling particularly generous that day. Um, that's why, you know, that's the success of, you know, of, of, of software as a service. You can say, uh, yeah, you know, you can sign up. You don't have, there's no money down. And I'm not even going to, you know, I'm not going to even have you sign a contract. But this is, this is, you know, how much it costs per month. And then, you know, it's below a certain threshold that they have to justify internally. They give you a credit card. It's, you know, whatever, $39.99 a month. And boom, all of a sudden, three years later, they're still paying it automatically because they probably don't even remember what it is. Mm. You understand what I'm saying? You're making it so easy that they don't even have to go ask for permission, mm. right? It just happens. Um, so the closing, though, it's it's a personal issue. You know, it's, it's, it's you know that you're selling something that has value. Mm. You've priced it. You've... You put it in a box, you, you know, you, it has a title, it has an end, beginning and an ending to the process. And you want yes. Well, yes means you got to sign off on it, right? And that, and that brings to mind, uh, so for somebody who's already done it, it's really easy because then you can be like, oh, I've done this already. Get them excited. This, here it exists. Yeah. This, is already, this is already things. But for somebody who's never done it before, it's like going from that zero to one that Peter Thiel talks about. It's like, um, how have you come, you know, how when you first started to, a project how did you work with that zero to one i've never done this before type of excitement yeah it's 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 energy work i don't know i don't it's projecting of of a positive energy but it has to be real and meaningful and truthful Mm -hmm. uh it has to be because or else you're gonna get caught out pretty quickly Mm -hmm. the other thing that as an entrepreneur i've always done as i think i mentioned it before is like you always go out there and you talk to existing customers and, 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 you, and you run ideas by them and you judge what the response is. Uh, so that by the time you go out and try to get your first, your first sale, right? Formal sale, you already know what the response is. You already know how to, how to, how to work it. Uh, by existing customers, you mean customers that have already signed up to your product or customers who have already signed up to another uh, offering? No, your customers. In the sense, when you when you when you when you're a salesperson, right? It's your customer. It's not the company's customer, mm. right? Uh, it, 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 you know, if you don't have any trademark equity, right? You have to hire really good, really expensive uh, mm. salespeople that have their own customer list, right? Because you're selling on the basis of their brand equity uh, at some level, which is why you're you know highly compensating them uh, and highly compensating them in cash. Um, when you have trademark equity, well, the trademark equity is, is, is what's actually doing the sale. You can actually put an order taker behind a telephone and it's going to work just as well. If you have the trademark equity, right? I want to break down. You don't need trademark equity, trademark equity meaning, meaning like, so a brand like, like a fortune 500 company, like Ford or something. Oh yeah. I mean, nobody, Microsoft doesn't have people selling Microsoft office, do they? Yeah. Right. It doesn't require a sale. It's just it's selling itself. Right. Uh, they're, they're they're putting their operating system and they have six customers. Right. How many tier one uh, uh, PC builders are left in the world? 
built, right? Mm -hmm. So you don't need salespeople for that either. Uh, that's all trademark equity. If you don't have that trademark equity, you need to sell and you need to find the person that has their own personal trademark equity to go out there and sell the product. Mm -hmm. uh, there's an extra step involved in that. If you're doing it yourself for your own business, well, you're still, you're selling yourself at a certain point, right? Mm -hmm. uh, if you've, if you've sold them stuff before and you know, you're on a talking basis, you can always say, okay, I have this new idea. What do you think? What would it take for you to sign off on it? How much would you be willing to pay? You can ask that question if, they, if they're a paying customer, right? If you're running an idea by somebody, they say, you know what? I've always, you know, I, I think there'd be some use for it. Let me help you work it out. Mm. So that by the time you go into your first cold call and your first cold sales presentation and your first cold close, you actually know what the response is going to be reasonably. Yeah. You understand what I'm saying? Yeah, and that's 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 what's key. I mean, cold calling is hard, right? Making a sales call that is cold is hard. Making the first the first close is hard. Uh, you know, if you're selling to you know corporate five hundred and companies, and you're hiring a, you know a, an experienced salesperson, they already know everybody there, right? They've already knocked on those doors. They know what the response is. They're being allowed in because. You know, you hired a competent salesperson. You're really riding on their personal brand equity. Mm -hmm. Then you make your presentation of what the product is, and then you'll know whether they're interested or not interested. What's the cost? Uh, how are you getting paid? Do I have to pay in advance? Uh, is it, you know, 50 bucks a month per seat for the next three years? All of that stuff can be worked out afterwards. Uh, but getting to that first sale, it, it's really a personal issue. You're, you're selling yourself. You're selling the product, but you're selling yourself at the same time. Mm. It's the fact that you've sold yourself that allows you to make the sale in the first place. That's yeah. the thing that people don't, don't always realize. You walk in, you're selling yourself. Yeah. That's what you need to know. And this is why this is why I think the breathwork sessions and getting it into companies for free is would be helpful because then I can build relationships with a lot of different um, uh, different people at different organizations and and uh, correct. Then you have a captive captive base of customers that already know you and the products that you're selling, but don't start off from free, man. I don't like free. Free yeah. just pisses me off. So yeah. And then find a way to monetize it. If you want to give the first three sessions away, fine. But you know, you want, if you see the value in three sessions, that's 30 minutes, Yeah. you know, th three, 10 minute sessions, then pay for the fourth yeah. because you need the feedback to whether it has value or not. Mm -hmm. Saying, Oh, that's nice. I loved it. Yeah. It helped me a lot. That, that's all very nice, but you know you can do that with a friend. But ultimately, at the end of, of, of the day, you need, you need that feedback from the sale. The feedback, the real feedback, what is true, uh, is somebody actually you know, swiping their credit card. Mm -hmm. Okay, I'm going to give you, you know, $1 for, for you know, the next 30. Yeah. Right? If you don't have that credit card swipe, it's not true. It's not validated. It's not, it's not realistic. Mm -hmm. um, you can look at the stickiness of anything in the sense that, you know, if you got an app and people are coming back three times a day, right. You know, that, that's, that's the toothbrush rule, right? It's something that you use every day uh, that has value, whether you can monetize it or not, it still has value, but you still got to look at it in terms of how the hell do you monetize it? Because unless somebody's swiping that card, it doesn't have value. It's not real. Mm.
and that because it's the truth it's essentially it's it's because we can a validated truth yeah people say it's a transacted truth yeah. in business you have to have the transaction the transaction is what is real and it's funny because that goes back to like the whole reason we invented language or written language was to mark that transacted value um correct so interesting and you know a lot of first-time entrepreneurs don't see it and they see because they're, they're enamored with their own ideas. Uh, they're enamored with the fact that it's doing good for others, right? It's adding value to other people's lives. Uh, all entrepreneurs start off from that proposition. But you still need the, the, the objective validation. The objective validation isn't you telling me, oh, it's, it's a wonderful product. I love it. You know, it's improved my life and I'm a better human being because of it. The validation is transactional. It always has to be transactional. The validation has to be, okay, I've just swiped my card and I'm going to get 40 sessions of 10 minutes each on how to do breathing. And I've just paid whatever it is, $40. It's a dollar a day, right? That all of a sudden has value because you know somebody swiped the card, right? You gave him a freebie. You give them three Phoebe's or five of them. Okay, and I'll pay for the remaining 35. Mm -hmm. that, that's all there is to it. That tells you it has value. Yeah. Okay. From Nothing else has value. Yep. So what it's, that's to say what's true. It's a validated truth, uh -huh. not a metaphysical truth. It's a transactional truth. Yep. But we live in a material world. And you can't shy away from the fact that it is a material world. And you got to eat. You got to put a roof over your head, right? You got to pay the bills. Yeah. Okay. So this is, this is interesting. Now I'm getting coming up with a plan. So for the month of November, um, going to every weekday will be a sequential breathwork program for the first three days will be free. Um, and then each day after that will cost a certain amount. And then I got to work out the pricing for, or do a, do a package for the, the whole thing. Mm-hmm. You know, it's a 40-day session. It's a 40-day, 10 minutes per day. Learn how to breathe and de-stress yourself, right? How to bring oxygen to your brain, think sharper, etc. Give the first three or five away. And say, okay, you want the remaining 35? It's 40 bucks. And the cool thing about the Zoom thing is that it's uh, it, it's not capped at a certain amount of people on per per call, so it's not. Something yeah, like the thing is, you can also pre-record them. You know, live is is good if it's one on one, right? But if it's many people, maybe pre-recorded is. Well, no, actually, so, every day. so there is there is something special, very subtle uh, uh, that happens live as well in a group setting setting as well. Um, Correct. Yeah, absolutely. You what? You know, I go do yoga in a group, right? I don't do it yeah. at home alone. Right? There's value to it, obviously. Mm -hmm. But you also got to think of how you want to serialize it, mm -hmm. right? That, that's the key thing because the monetization comes from serialization. Mm -hmm. You don't want to have to reinvent everything every single time to make it real. Mm -hmm. uh, in a sense, yeah, it, it's a higher order when you're actually in a group session or a group, group of people and you're doing it live, right? That, that, that has extra value. It's like I pay $10 to go to the movies and then I pay $100 or $200 for a theater seat, mm -hmm. right? But I don't go to the theater every week, right? That, that, that's the key thing. You still need to look at it in terms of this is the live performance and it costs this much, which is a lot of money, but we can do a group thing, uh, uh, which means you spread 
the, the, the big cost over many people and then it makes sense financially or B, if you want to do it individually, uh, you know, here's the serialized version. It's 40 downloads. The first five are free. If you like the first five, you know, you buy the whole packet of 40. Uh, you can download them, you know, daily as I put them up, uh, et cetera. Or, you know, then you can hit them up again for, you know, your, your, your weekly update on something new, mm. right? Serialization is key to business. Uh, everything starts off as a custom job for a particular client, right? Mm. I know a guy who does that uh, with SAP software, right? He'll spend six months at a customer site uh, doing, delivering exactly what the customer wants, right? Then he'll take his experience and create a package that then he sells as an individual package uh, with no customization at, you know, one-tenth the price, He's basically serialized his, his experience uh, building a particular module and then, you know, he just sells it or actually he doesn't sell it. His, you know, his salespeople sell it. Mm. That works for him very well because there's the custom job that costs $2 million and then there's the $20,000 module job. Take it or leave it. This is the way it is. Mm. But he sells a lot, quite a lot more of the serialized ones than the custom jobs because how often can, you know, an independent you know, software provider actually get a $2 million contract, right? Mm. But he sells a lot of modules. Boilerplate. People like him because people are not willing or able or capable of, you know, spending the $2 million for a custom job, right? You have to learn to serialize. Serializing it is, is the key to everything. It's or else it's a very expensive one-on-one -on -one high touch proposition. Uh-huh. And, and that, that's expensive to maintain. It's also energetically. I don't know how you're going to do it, Stuart, to keep that level of energy up in order to sustain it, right? Because when you do one session, you're putting out a lot of energy in order to do it. Well, not necessarily. So that's the, that's the cool thing is that I started yeah. this because I, was, uh, I don't have the discipline to do it on my own anymore. So having someone else in front of me to teach them allows me to do it as well and gets, gets me into a set or organization so i'm actually i'm actually gaining energy yeah it's a two-way street obviously um but the but this this comes this makes me think about an interesting thing is that i've been creating an image out of out of an ideal out of this essentially this thing of like reality is nonlinear. i don't want to i don't want to break it up into little things and sell it because that would be making it less pure um and uh and yeah, that's where you're going wrong yeah <laughs> yeah so it's like uh <laughs> So yeah, how not to fall into this image of this thing that I've got in my head of like, oh, I'm going to keep it pure instead of just doing it. And some people don't need it. it, 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 it the, yeah, whatever. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah uh, you don't, you, you don't need to, you don't need to present it that way because maybe a lot of people are uncomfortable with it being with real. Yeah. yeah exactly. You want it real. I want it real, but it doesn't mean other people want it real. Yeah. They're not comfortable with real. And there's nothing wrong with that, essentially, that they don't want it. Correct. They want it real. Because right? if you're genuine and real while you're recording it, right, uh, yeah. they will perceive that. Yeah. They know that you're not just going through the motions because you're going through the motions. Yeah. They're seeing you on live screen. Maybe they'll repeat it. Maybe they'll see it three times. Mm -hmm. And they'll say he's genuine while he does it, right? And they'll tune their fork to your, to your vibration. Yep. Right. I mean, that's what you're selling. You're selling a serialized vibration, which is fine because it's real in, in, in the context of its, of, of its time scope. It's 10 minutes of real. 
and I'm going to do it every morning and tomorrow is going to be different from today. And now I got a, a different vibration. Mm. And with every vibration that you push forward in a serialized manner, you're actually teaching them to tune their tuning fork to that particular vibration, mm. which you can't keep up. Mm. In order for it to be real, powerful, uh, substantial, you have to put a high amount of energy into it, right? Mm. And you've encapsulated that 10 minute session, right? Now you can distribute it serially because it's real because people will look at it and say, okay, well, wow, this guy's being real. Mm. I can tune my tuning fork to it. And that's, a, that's all it is. That's all we do as human beings, right? Hmm. I mean, what is power? Power in a sense in a corporate context is, you know, people start tuning into the vibration of the boss, right? That's what a leader is, mm -hmm. right? Leadership is precisely that. But that, that, that they have to be able to tune to something strong. That's what people humanly recognize as real and meaningful. That strength has to be present. In order to have strength, you have to conserve that strength. Mm. There's no way around that. In order to conserve that strength, you can't put yourself out doing you know, 10 sessions a day because you're just going to burn out. It's not going to be real anymore. By the time you do the hundredth, you're not going to have the energy to project out outwardly. So it's going to look fake even mm. though it's the opposite of what you were trying to achieve you say i'm here in person and that's what's making it real but you have to look at it as 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 the contextualized encapsulated reality that is present in a 10-minute session mm. you have to put all your energy into that 10-minute session today that's all you need to do you have to prepare for it etc then that becomes real then people turn it on in the morning they listen to it on the way to work or while they're having breakfast and they go bing and they, you know, they tune their, their, their own tuning fork. Mm. And now they're at a different frequency that allows them to be, you know, not captured by the stress of daily life because you've just tuned them out. You've tuned them somewhere else, somewhere good, somewhere strong, somewhere positive. Fair. Everything in business is that it's about serialization at the end of the day. Mm. Of, you know, of, I, I I, I don't want my Microsoft office to crash. That's the only thing that matters to me. If it doesn't crash, you know, I don't need to interact with Microsoft. I don't give a shit. And it's Where's the, the human interaction there? It just works every time, right? It's the whole taking chaos and turning it into structure and order. So essentially a business takes That's it. chaos, turns it into structure for money. That's it. Yep. And, and you need the money. The money is not the, there. The money is the, is the material validation of the whole process yeah. it has to be there people have to like swipe that card they have to press enter mm -hmm. because or else you don't know whether it's meaningful or not again people can be nice to you or, or not nice to you but at the end of the day what matters is you know are they seeing the value mm. interesting so that's that's what you well that, that that's my opinion that's the way i look at life but you know I, as i always say i'm a recidivist i made every single mistake at least a dozen times and you know i assume that i'm wrong <laughs> so one last uh, kind of discussion point for the last few few minutes is is you mentioned this the corporate thing and the corporate thing is totally valid it's something i have not i mean i've had a tiny tiny bit of experience with but i wouldn't even call it that uh and then it, and but it and it's real and but it seems like with what we're going through in terms of most a lot of jobs being automated anything mechanical being automated by a computer um that the corporate thing is going to get a lot more uh competitive so it 
will become less and less of an option, I guess, as we're already seeing with the freelancing thing is that more people are becoming freelancers and going to definite, it's like almost like mercenaries in Italy or something like that, but uh, in, yeah. in Renaissance Italy, but uh, we're seeing this, this change from it's much, much harder to get a full-time corporate job. Is that accurate? Oh, you know, 20 years ago, they said that, you know, offices would be paperless, right? Yeah. Our office is paperless. No, they're not paperless. Uh-huh. Uh, you know, our, our office is going to be peopleless. No, they're not going to be peopleless. There's going to be just as many people. You know, the, the, the thing that has shifted is that 40 years ago, 5% of the population had a college degree, right? And moved up to 10. Yeah. Uh, if you look at the position yeah. of corporations within the, the, the total economy, uh, right? They're, 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 they're there to suck up 20% of the population. And that 20% has to be educated to a certain standard um, of understanding, understanding uh, in terms of, you know, standing under. So these are the rules and this is how you, you need to do things, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, it's, it's a formalized process. 20% of the population needs a college degree. The problem is, is that we're cranking out so many people with college degrees that there's a surplus of people with college degrees. That's the bottom line. So you really got to look at it as, you know, what college degrees are useful. Uh, you know, if you want to do, take, you know, get a bachelor's degree in gender studies, you know, all for you, right? Uh, I'm there for you. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, how is that useful, you know, if you want to go work for Microsoft or HP or, or Oracle? Right. I mean, what's the utility there? Right. And that's what you really need to look at is what is going to bring value to the corporation you want to go work for? Mm -hmm. Uh, What's the degree that you have in? Uh, You know, do you need as many accountants as you did 20 years ago? Yeah, because there's a lot more businesses. Right. Mm -hmm. You can still find employment. But who wants to be an accountant? Well, it's a necessary skill. Uh, But you got to look at it in terms of I don't see you know, corporate work going away. I also see, you know, the gig economy remaining there because I might need your services for three months or six months, but I don't need you all year round, right? It's a limited contractual thing. You have a specialization. It's not general. You don't have a general education. You have a specialized education and I need that specialization X amount of time. I need my CPA, you know, four times a year to prepare my quarterlies. I, I don't need to see my CPA every day, right? I need a bookkeeper. <laughs> I need an accountant to do the, the entry properly so that my expensive CPA doesn't have to do the data entry, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, so the gig economy works if you have a high degree of specialization that people don't need all year round. Uh, the balance of the problem is, is there's too many people with skills out there. Mm-hmm. Is that good? Is that bad? I don't know. Uh, you know, programming is very hard. Uh, why doesn't a programmer make the same money as a doctor? Because, you know, the, the, the American Medical Association has a limited number of entrants, right? Not everybody can get in, and they cap the number at half of what is needed. Mm-hmm. There's only half the doctors that the country actually needs. Mm-hmm. Uh, an extension of that is, you you know, American medical system is so specialized and so different from uh, the medical systems in other countries that you can't bring in a doctor from Germany or from India or from China and have them work in the United States because they're, they're trained differently, mm-hmm. right? So you have a limited, a high demand and a limited number of participants that raises the price. 
you know, engineering is engineering, right? You, you get somebody, uh, a programmer from Germany or from India, they're just as good as an American, one if not better, right? Uh, and if, if you have a need for 700,000 new programmers every year, and you're cranking out 700,000 and 700,000 are moving to the U.S. to pursue a better life, now you have a surplus. Mm. Most of what goes down as the gig economy is, is a combination of all those factors. Uh, need for specialization isn't 24, you know, is, is, you don't need certain skill sets 12 months of the year, and then you have an overcapacity. But, you know, if you look at it from the point of view of humanity, it's good that there's a lot of people with, you know, that extra four years of education. Maybe 12 years isn't sufficient enough to operate in our modern economy, maybe you need those four years. Maybe in order to survive in the gig economy, you need those 12 plus four plus, you know, another two as a master's, right? Uh, you know, if you want to, if you want to teach, you need, you need, you also need a PhD on top of that, mm. right? So where, where you bring the knowledge level uh, and how many people are in that business is what determines determines what 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 the return is on that investment that you've personally made in your education mm. uh, and there's educations that are relevant and educations that are simply not relevant i mean you know i can read read and write latin uh, you know how useful is that <laughs> you understand I me mean, i enjoy it yeah. but how useful is that in, the, in in you know in a modern business context right but then uh, so you you have to look at it in terms of how useful is what interests you is to the economy at, at large. I mean, I know people that were born artists. Okay, what's the use of an artist? You know, there, there's a lot of artists out there, right? If you want to have a pretty picture website, you know, there's a lot of people you can call on, mm -hmm. right? There's, I could probably find 20 people for one job, mm -hmm. right? If you want to do, you know, Hadoop or something else in, you know, in, in, in data science, you're not going to find that, that number of of, of people. That's where the problem is. Mm. But no, corporate work isn't going away. Consulting work isn't going away. Entrepreneurship isn't going away. Uh, you got to look at it. You know, it's just, it's the massive talent that is out there. And as far as humanity is concerned, the more talent, the better. Mm. But as an individual who doesn't have that talent, it becomes difficult, but at a Impossible. Greater, Yeah. 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 And then it boils down to what are your expectations? You know, yeah. I, I got a, four-year college degree in engineering science and all of a sudden, you know, you're competing with 10 people who are maybe smarter than you. And mm -hmm. you're like, holy shit, what do I do now? Yeah. Right. Cause I, you know, there's just humility and arrogance of saying, you know what, I'm a smart guy, but every day I'm going to meet one guy who's smarter than me. Right. That's smart persons out there. Right. Mm -hmm. If you're interacting in the real world with real people, You'll find every day you'll bump into somebody who's smarter than you. Mm. That's just the way it is. Mm -hmm. And so it becomes about expectations and it is, becomes about self-awareness. Managing your expectations. Yeah. Yeah. And self-awareness about what, what are my expectations and are those expectations relevant to my situation? Yeah. yeah. And are they realistic to your realistic. situation? Mm -hmm. I mean, why do people, software programmers, do the entrepreneurial route? I mean, they get out of college, you know, they're making a hundred grand, which is twice what their parents are making back in Ohio. But, you know, can you buy a house in, in, <laughs> in Palo Alto on that salary? And the answer is no. And, you know, they're, they're looking at Ford. I said, I'm going to do 30 years of this slug. 
at this, you know, at this ceiling. No, they go out there and they try their luck, right? Yeah. That's just the way it is because that's the differentiator for a lot of people. Mm. But in order for the differentiator to work, you, you have to be able to encapsulate, serialize it, and monetize it, mm. right? Mm. That's, that's the only feedback that matters. Yeah. Because you got to pay the bills. Yeah. <laughs> Let's keep your corporate job and shut up. <laughs> well, cool. Thank you so much. I've got I've to run, but how can people find out more about you? Um, I mean, I've found a lot of value on Quora, but if, if anything you're, you're, you'd like my listeners to understand about you, now's the time. No, just, you know, hit me up on Quora. It's a perfect place or, you know, on LinkedIn, whatever. Cool. And uh, yeah. your name is Marco Fuchsia, M-A-R-C-O-F. I'll correct you. Fuchsia. F-U-X-A. Fuchsia. Okay. So it's M-A-R-C-O-F-U-X-A. You got it. Yeah. Cool. Thank you so much. I should have asked you beforehand about how you pronounce your name. Not a problem.